this is a personal, this is a personal thing. One of my insecurities or weaknesses is as a storyteller and as somebody who feels very connected to, um, I, I believe it both from a spiritual point of view and from a, just like a science point of view, that God has wired us to remember stories. Like so, uh, there's all kinds of studies about that. But I get very self-conscious about how often I repeat the same stories and I repeat things. Um, <coughs> but what happens is, uh, that means there's some things that should be repeated more often than not. And I just acknowledge that as a church, especially over the last year, we, we did some, I think we were pretty good over the summer. When we were having brunch at the house and everybody, went, for the most part, we were really drawing the core of our church family the last Sunday of every month. And, you know, we... We value any time the church is gathering, whether it's in a morning like this on a Sunday, whether it's a worship night, whether it's somebody doing a simple church or just families getting together for meals or some people meeting up for coffee. It's an important part of things. But there are two things right now in our rhythm as collectively that we are trying to hide up. So I'm saying this because I don't think I've said this enough. One of those is once a month we try to have a worship night. Prayer and worship night is just a time where we come together to pray, to worship, to seek the Lord together, to be in His presence. And people who are not a part of our Sunday morning rhythms, they tend to show up on those times. And there are some families that have been here for those, almost every one of those, and they haven't been on a Sunday morning. People are like, oh, are they still part of our church? Yes, they are. They come to that rhythm. That's what they're doing. They have other rhythms during the week that they are, are engaging in. The other thing that we really try and we want to have is an important thing, and we're still working on it. But um, our last Sunday of the month, to get everybody together for a meal, and the goal there is that to be a time that if everyone's together, we can talk about things that need to be talked about, make sure that we're all as much as we can be on the same page. I'm encouraging us all, this month, please, as much as you can, please, it is, it is my heart that on that Sunday, we are just going to have time after we've been seeking the Lord together over the weekend, have time just to go into a little bit more why is it that, that we do church the way we do church not in terms of a big teaching thing but just kind of like from a practical what does that look like to remind us we, we set out last year we, we saw there were some some places through COVID where we needed to address and so part of what life in the grove has been to do is to address the place that we want people to feel confident in the way they follow Jesus feel confident in making disciples and feel confident being able to lead small groups and so we're kind of in this period right now where we're focusing on that thing that God called us to do. And in some ways, people have expressed that they kind of feel like we're in no man's land, right? Because there's still stuff happening on Sundays, but everybody isn't there. But there's not necessarily a lot of simple churches that people can go and join and be a part of. We understand that it's a little bit of an awkward time. So what our commitment is, we're trying to make the most. I mean, honestly, a year ago, Abigail and I, and Mike and Sierra, and then uh, over the course of like the semester, like, we tried to make something that would be accessible for some college students, like J.P. and Lane become, and we used like six or seven of us in our house, digging into the Word. And that feels very different than what Sunday morning here does. And sometimes I miss those times. But that doesn't mean that, like, well, that was just for that time, and now this is this, and so. Because there's sometimes what happens here, because also it's, it's a different kind of thing, right? But what we want to do is make sure we all have a clear understanding, because clarity creates connection, right? And confusion creates disconnection. And so we don't want there to be confusion. Um, so I really would like to ask you all to be thinking about two things. It is my goal, it's my prayer, to try to connect with as many people individually as I can. But two things over the next couple weeks. If you feel like this is your church family, okay, what, what does that look like for you? 
What are the things and places you feel like, man, as, as a part of, it, of this church, this is what I'm really looking to our church community for. And what do you think is healthy for that to look like from you? What are the things that either God has deposited in you or that you're aware of, like that's in your heart, that you want to grow in and you want to exercise? We are, I, I am, I believe that we are, but I am passionate. The one of the things that is um, most needs to be addressed in the Western church is everyone was designed to have an important part to play. Not one or two or five, but everyone. And so to understand that God says whenever you come together, each one has something to contribute. Again, that applies to things like this. And so we've been trying to take over the last few months. And typically we'll have some time to focus on subscriptions and we'll break up into smaller groups and really try to engage every person in the room having an opportunity to be a part of what's taking place. That's not just because um, I didn't get a chance to study enough for a whole sermon, so we'll only do a third of a sermon and let everybody else do it. No, it's because we're really passionate that this is not about me or anybody other person giving a good book report. Right? But we are called to engage with the Word of God. It, it struck me in December as we were reading James again that when we are hearers only of the Word, we deceive ourselves. And I believe that we have got a culture where we can hear really good teaching and preaching, read books, listen to podcasts, and never become activated and being a doer of that. And we've been deceived. We think that we're strong when we really are not activated. And so today... We're going to talk for a few minutes about some things, uh, and then hopefully we'll have time to bring up and pray together. That's, that's the goal for today. But for that last weekend, just highlighting this this month, on these times where once a quarter we have our prayer and worship weekend, we're trying to coordinate it to be on that last weekend so that if you can only be here one weekend together, it's that time. So please, if you listen, it could be a good time to spend some time fasting over the next few weeks. I will try to see if we can get sent out. There's a six-minute video that I uh, of a poem that we've played here before, but it's called the Vision, uh, the Vision film, and it just is so important. It just draws me back to these. It's a poem. You might have a different poem or a song or a, or a passage that you want to focus on, but would you just invite the Lord to really reorient your eyes, completely, solely focus on Jesus? So, look, man. Paul says no soldier, no good soldier gets entangled in the things of the world. And I can just recommend that one of my most frequently prayed prayers is, God, untangle me. Keep me from getting tangled up in the things of the world. It wasn't necessarily all the bad, sinful things. It was just the affairs of this life that can become a snare to us. And so we don't want to be distracted. Okay? Does that sound good? All right. So this morning, I, I felt like I needed to do this. I was having a conversation with uh, Jared and Kate. I almost went with... J.D. and Karen, which was a really interesting thing. But it was actually with Jared and Katie this week, and we were talking about perspectives, and we were talking a little bit about pain and, and uh, things. And so I, I couldn't get away from that conversation. Um, and I wanted to talk just a little bit about, uh, hopefully in just a few minutes, we'll talk about pressure and pain, and but then leading to a place where what we really want to do is look at God's Word for a few minutes this morning about prayer. Okay? I really feel... But at the beginning of this year, this is an area, this is one area, I feel like the Holy Spirit's got a big highlighter out, and he's scribbling over, inviting us to grow collectively in this together. So what I'd like for you to do to make sure that we're all legal is turn to Psalm chapter 84, we'll make sure we read scripture, uh, and we take this, even this conversation in the light of the scripture we're going to read. 
And would you just ask the Lord as you're getting your, your scriptures open, would you just ask the Lord to make this uh, a word in right season for your heart, whatever way he needs to do that. All right, Psalm 84, it's not that long. We're just going to read this passage. I have been um, meditating a lot over the last few months over Psalm uh, 27. And I, there's some interesting similarities between Psalm 84 and the beginning, or the beginning of Psalm 84, and some of the things that are said in Psalm 27 about the beauty of the presence of God. And so this, this psalm starts out with, How lovely is your tabernacle? O Lord of hosts, my soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh cry out for the living God. We just spoke for uh, a few minutes there about this last weekend in the month. The vision is Jesus. Have you had times in your life where you can really say, my heart and my flesh cry out for an awareness of his presence? It was a reality. I, I kind of like... Uh, grew up thinking that the spirit is good, the flesh is always bad. But Hebrews talks about how we can train even our flesh to discern God's goodness, to, to yearn and long for God's goodness. And so what the psalmist is saying here, where my heart and my flesh cry out, there have been seasons of my life where I have been really focused. And, I, and my, my dream is it becomes like an unending lifestyle. But I'll admit, I've not gotten there yet. But there are times whenever I feel like I just will get homesick to do nothing but be in the presence of God where I'm just aware. That doesn't mean that you don't go do other things like work or the dishes, but to be able to fully know that I'm not leaving his presence to go do anything else. I am learning how to abide and be present with him in the midst of that. Does that make sense? And so in this psalm, we see that's the beginning. Just, just talking about the beauty of his presence, the beauty of being together with him. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you. That's an interesting sentence. They will still be praising you. All we've talked about so far is just the goodness of God. And the beauty of his, of his tabernacle. But you get a sense of that last, that last line. There's something more that's going on here. We find out in verse 5. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. What does the word pilgrimage mean? What's that? A journey to something new. I think key word for me would be journey. Would you all agree that Pilgrims have not yet arrived. There's something implicit in that word that lets us know that pilgrimage is about an ongoing pathway or journey. It's, a, it's, it's you know, when people go on pilgrimages to different religious sites, they've got to go and find that place. And so in these, in these lines in, in verse 5, blessed is a man whose strength is in the Lord, whose heart is set on the journey. That sounds really beautiful, poetic, but what it really means is there's going to be times during that journey where everything doesn't feel like verse 1 and 2. How many of you ever had this experience? You're going through life, you're thankful, you're, you're seeking the Lord, something bad happens, you're like, what am I doing wrong? Has anybody ever? How easy it is for us to 
process adversity as we're doing something wrong. Does anybody else struggle with that besides me? Right? <laughs> but if we would look through the lens of Scripture, adversity is not something that we should try to avoid. Now, I don't think that means you need to go look and try to make your life as miserable and hard as you can. If you know an easy way or a good way of doing things, you should. But avoidance of difficulty does not equal spiritual maturity. The absence of difficulty in your life is not a sense of God's blessing. Remember Mike and I talking on some of those early Sundays about what is favor? Is favor just when you get a good parking spot? Because what does it mean? Do you not have favor when you don't get a good parking spot? Is God's favor only present when you get the job promotion? Does that mean His favor is not with you whenever you lose your job? It is so easy, it doesn't mean that God's... Listen, my dad gets good parking spots. And he will thank God every single time for the good parking spot. Or keep driving until he finds one. There's a persistence in believing, man, God cares about things like that. And I'm, please don't misunderstand me that he doesn't care about those things. He does. But your circumstances do not determine the level of God's commitment to you. Can we agree about that? So let's read verse 5 again. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on the pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools, and they go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. O God, behold our shield and look upon the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he behold for those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man who trusts in you. This passage is really, really strong. And we're going to take just a few minutes because we want to get to the activation part to just focus on two real words here. The one I want you to go up to is in the beginning of verse 6. Some of you have a different translation. Uh, and you don't see the word baka. Most of you will see the word weeping or sorrow. Blessed. For as they pass through the valley of sorrow, they make it a spring. Who? Those whose strength is in him, whose hearts are set on the pilgrimage, whose hearts are fixed on the journey. When we pass through the valleys of weeping and sorrow, and pain and pressure. It can be so easy to allow the sorrow, suffering, and pain to be the most clear thing in our awareness. But there's a blessing for those who walk through it. doesn't mean we're unaware of those things. I truly believe that pain is not something we should avoid. Who created you with the capacity to acknowledge pain? Who? The Lord. So I've, I've told this story before. I don't know if I've ever told it in front of my dad, but my dad had surgery. How long has that been since you had the back surgery? 1998. Dad had back surgery, and whenever he came out of surgery, he had no feeling from his knees down. So you could, I mean, the doctors regularly stick him with pins or shoot electricity, or you can drop something on him and not feel pain. That is not a sign of his health. 
And often we think in our hearts we should avoid pain or the absence of pain means that we're healthy. But let me remind you that in Ezekiel he did not say, I will take away your heart of flesh and give you a heart of stone. He said, I will pour out my spirit on you and I will take your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. What does that mean? That as we encounter God's spirit, we feel more and we're more aware of the fleshy tender things, not less aware. And some of you are shaking your heads right now because you know, as you've cried out for God, you're like, what's going on? I'm feeling more pain now than I did before. Don't lose heart. This is not a sign of failure. This is not a sign that you're doing something wrong. You are becoming healthier and more aware of what's already there. Pain was a part of the nervous system that God created. I believe pain was sent to be a signal that something's not right. Something's not as it was intended. But if we live our lives trying to avoid pressure, avoid pain, avoid sorrow, we'll never experience the beauty of what is talked about here in Psalm 84. Blessed is the one whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on the pilgrimage. As they pass through the valleys of weeping, they turn it into a spring. How would you like to do that? How would you like, you, I don't believe in this world, Jesus said in this world you will find sorrows and trials of different kinds would be a good cheer I've overcome the world. How would you like to be someone who passes through adversity and takes the weeping that comes with that adversity and turns it into a life-giving spring that feeds your soul and feeds the others around you? The key is our heart is set on the journey. Second thing. David starts and ends with the psalmist. Actually, I don't know if this is a David psalm or somebody else. Oh, Asaph, son of Korah. David gets all the credit. Son of Korah, Asaph, writing this song, starting out and ending about the beauty of the house of the Lord, the beauty of the presence of God. I would rather spend one day in your courts than a thousand anywhere else. What is the key to accessing that? I believe that key is found. Let's see where I just lost the verse. Oh, verse 8. Oh Lord, your God of hosts. What's that text sign or phrase say? Hear my prayer. I believe prayer gives us access. So let's talk about this real quick. Let's talk about perspectives in the midst of pressure. How many of you have experienced any pressure in the last few months? Okay, cool, awesome. Pressure is a part of life. Let's just talk quickly through a couple things and then we'll... We'll dive in. This is this is new here. Okay. So I think one of the things that we do in the midst of pressure, how many of you ever deal with fear in the midst of pressure? Okay? So fear in the midst of pressure, what do you think we should do about it? Accept it. Accept the fear? Yeah. Okay? What do you mean by that? I'm always been told there's a difference between fear and being afraid. Mm -hmm. right, being afraid means you're going to run away fear is healthy because it allows you to approach it with an open heart knowing you died okay. fear empowers you being afraid makes you run away so do you hear the definitions he's given there 
He's saying the word. So I have a friend who says the opposite. Use, use the words, but it's the same thing. So one of the things that Joey Garlington said, there's a difference between something happening and you feel afraid versus operating under a spirit of fear. I can be frightened in a moment, but I don't have to embrace that spirit of fear that wants to, right? So what he is saying is, the thing that's not good is what makes you run away. The thing that is good is allow you to know, no matter what I'm facing, God is with me and I can, I can deal with this. That's why I put the word confronting up there. We never want to allow intimidation. Have you ever felt threatened in the midst of pressure, like something's going to happen and that thing that's going to happen is going to destroy everything? And I think so often what we have to do is we have to pivot. I remember I used to play basketball. You know, we were talking about being in a triple threat position. And you can't have your back to your enemy and be in a triple, tri triple threat position. You've got to square up. You make a face. Right? You've got to square up against, against the opposition. We don't live under a place of intimidation. I love the passage in Hebrews. says, we are not those that shrink away. We're not those who draw back in fear. So in the midst of pressure, I think one of the things we have to do is make sure we're not allowing the threats that the enemy would want to accuse you. Oh, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to take place. And whether that's for you personally, whether that's about a group of people you're part of, even for our nation, I feel like this has been something the enemy's been feeding, this is fear. So this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. The Lord does not use manipulation. All of his pathways are life. Yes, Sam. This is super applicable to what I'm learning about the Lord right now. And one of the things that the Lord has showed me is wherever there's fear, it's because I'm not rooted in his love. Right, where they love cast out fear. And then Graham Cook talks about like growing in faith. All you have to do is focus on how loved you are, and faith becomes very easy. And so I've really been trying to discipline myself when I recognize that there's a place of fear to just be still and get into the love of the Father for me. And then I find that I'm empowered to confront fear in faith because I'm really in love. I would add Romans 5, 1 through 5 as biblical, strong biblical evidence of what Anna is saying is true. When we are dealing with fear, when we are dealing with that sense of like that threat, one of the greatest ways to, to move in faith is not to try to muster faith. Have you ever tried to muster up faith? Look, I'm just trying to believe. Right? That is just usually pretty fruitless. That is our own stuff. Doesn't really work. But Romans 5, 1 through 5, talks about adversity. talks about how amidst of adversity, God's going to form something in you. He's going to form perseverance. He's going to form character. He's going to form hope. And the last verse in there says this. And our hope does not disappoint because we have the love of God poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit that's been given to us. So in the midst of this adversity and pressure and thing that's going on, but what the Apostle Paul was writing was, hey, you focus on the fact that you have an outpouring, an ongoing outpouring of God's love into your life through the person of the Holy Spirit. And so in the midst of fear, what do we do with a little child when they're afraid? Allow the surrounding presence of God's love to be your greatest reality. And confront, you know, pivot. And confront, square up against that thing. And don't allow that threat to be the most powerful thing that's prophesying in your life. Okay? Another thing that comes up in the midst of pressure is pain. We've already talked about pain a little bit. I don't think pain is bad. But I think pain demands being addressed properly. And we've done, I think, in the body of Christ, we've not been able to get with that for decades. Or centuries, probably. I remember when Jerry passed away. 
I had this awareness that I tried to avoid me being comforted. I tried to always have the right perspective. And so whenever I was feeling bad, I was like, oh God, what's your perspective? And I tried to just allow the fact that God was always good to mean that my heart wasn't feeling pain. The problem is, Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. Not blessed are you whenever you don't mourn because you've got it figured out how not to be hurt. So can anybody else ever say you try not to hurt and not need to be comforted by the Holy Spirit? So it's an unintentional resisting the Holy Spirit. He said, no, when you are in pain, I actually want to come. Blessed are you when you mourn, for you will be comforted. He also said, blessed are you when you're persecuted. Stop trying to avoid what he wants to bless. You living your life in a way that never draws persecution is not a sign of your righteousness. You, in the same way, you living your life in a way that avoids mourning doesn't mean that you are now walking in a place of maturity or walking in a place of more blessing. He wants to bless the human places. He wants to bless the low places. He sends his river to run the rivers of life that everything that touches that river lives. Those rivers aren't found on mountaintops. Those rivers are found in the valleys. Those rivers are found in the low places. So don't avoid them. So we confront fear and faith, and faith, and then we don't just allow what pain will prophesy. Have you ever experienced this where your pain prophesies what's going to happen under pressure? It's a little bit different than fear. Maybe you're not afraid of it, but you've experienced the pain before. You hit a certain pressure, and all of a sudden, this is what's going to happen again. And, and pain is not, the, is not the, the prophetic voice that you need to welcome. You don't need to ignore it. We need to deal with it rightly. We need to address it. And this is not the time for us to talk about everything that would mean, because I think that we could do that in a whole year. Okay? But at the same time, in the midst of pain, when you start becoming aware of the pain, you don't need to allow pain to be the prophet you're listening to. Fear and pain are not the voices that you should listen to. Don't try to avoid them. But let's, let's seek the Lord and welcome His Holy Spirit in the midst of fear, in the midst of pain. Perfect love cast out fear. And God has a plan to comfort all those who are wanted. Okay? You guys all together? Yep. Alright, so let's keep moving. So, what do we do in the midst of pressure? How many of you have experienced that in the midst of pressure, you, you understand something about yourself that you didn't understand before? Are you able to thank God for the pressure? In those seasons. Sometimes in my marriage, when everything seems good, I'm unaware that there's a real issue that needs to be addressed. Sometimes in a relationship with somebody that I love, or a friend, or somebody I'm discipling, it's not until the pressure comes, or the fire comes, that I go, oh, we should deal with that. Okay? Jesus talks about this in a lot of different places. We won't spend too much time here. But it's really interesting that in the midst of um, what Jesus talks about with the idea of leaven, there's three leavens that Jesus talks about. The leaven of the kingdom of God, the leaven of the Herod, and leaven of the Pharisees. And leaven gets activated in the midst of the heat. If you put bread to rise on a cold windowsill, it won't rise. Because the leaven doesn't get activated until the heat comes. So I can feel like I've got a real good kingdom mindset about finances or whatever until I get to a place where I have no money. 
And it's really easy then for me to revert not to a kingdom mindset, but to a poverty mindset. Does that make sense? So in the midst of pressure, we can actually be to partner with God and say thank you for allowing things to be revealed into this. Does that make sense? That's one way of adjusting our perspective. Where pressure becomes, instead of being the thing that we're trying to avoid, we say, okay, God, how do we partner with you? This is what we know. Jesus said this. Come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Did you ever think about this? There's something about the midst of pressure that allows you to experience the presence of God in a way that gives rest and the load goes on to Him. It's not like you're experiencing something that He's not already prepared for. Have you ever had a moment you feel like in your heart, I can't even lift my head. I'm so tired. I'm so weary. I can't even lift my head. I love it. Thousands of years before we ever walked the earth, here's what he said. I'm the lifter of those who are bent beneath the load. So instead of you trying to figure out how to never get bent beneath the load, what's more important is for us to know, oh, there's a solution for that. My strength is in him. My hope is in him. Does that make sense? Now, again, that doesn't mean let's try to figure out how to wear ourselves out and live in a way that's really unhealthy. But what that means is when we find ourselves in those moments, whether it's by our own choices or whether it's because adversity is happening around us, we are not hopeless when our strength is in Him. But oftentimes, pressure reveals what I'm trying to rely on myself. Does that make sense? Yes? No? Are you still with me? I, I recognize where I am trying to figure out how do I manage everything that's happening right now. And I think Psalm 27 says, I am my own light, I am my own salvation, I am the strength of my life. And it doesn't say that. It says, you are my light, you are my salvation, you are the strength of my life. Not one time in Scripture am I required to be the strength of my own life. But every time I get under pressure, I'm looking for how to get more of bread. Instead of looking for how to make sure my hope and my strength is truly in Him, right? Now, none of us are like, yeah, I'm putting all my confidence in myself, and that's on purpose. There's this, this is a process of us cooperating with Him. We've already decided to follow Him. We've decided that we want our strength to be in Him. But can you recognize places where you're still controlling it yourself? You don't do, it's hard to yield control and give it to the Lord. Or we don't know how to do that, yes? Okay? So, pressure to heal, places to address, Perseverance is formed in the midst of adversity. So this is why it's important is we don't want to stick this part of the process. We want to be able to give him our yes. So, as we get ready to move into to prayer, two things I thought were important to highlight. We, we talked about this a little bit uh, when we were reading Hebrews and James. But I love the passage in Hebrews where it talks about there is a... There is, um, there is a promise. There is one who is promised, right? And as we put our hope in him, we believe that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. We believe, like, he is not trying to be hidden from us. He wants to be found. And he is faithful to the promise. So my faith is not that as I pray about the circumstance, that the circumstance is going to be fixed. My faith is in the one I'm praying to. Does that make sense? 
And we have to get that established in our hearts. And I do think there's a place in prayer that we as a church need to grow in about joining in prayer for specific things to see, see this happen. But if you start by trying to pray for things to happen without knowing that our faith is not in the thing, our faith is in the one who promised, and the one who promises faithful, then you will end up disappointed and you will end up in a place where you feel like your prayers aren't working. But prayer is not about getting your way. Prayer is about, number one, prayer is about moving into a place of alignment and obedience to God. So first of all, prayer doesn't make sense to me. Why should I need to pray? He already knows everything. So prayer is first humbling my heart into obedience. But also prayer is about coming into alignment with His will being done in the earth. And so as that happens... Prayer now becomes a place where my perspective is anchored in that promise. What is the promise? Not the promise that I'll get my way. Not the promise that I'll get the promotion or the parking spot. But the promise isn't the one that he's faithful. The promise is that blessed are those whose strength is in him. When they pass through the valley of weeping will turn into a spring. So this is a call. The call of prayer is a call of humility. Right? Take your Bibles and turn over to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to look just a couple of passages together, then we'll split up. But Ephesians chapter 6 is a, oh, Grandpa Jim would say it's a biggie. So we'll do, a, we'll do one, one or two biggies together. Ephesians 6. What does the word prayer mean to you? Luke. What does prayer mean to you? about relationship with God. How many of you say that's true? Somebody else have a different answer. What's prayer? Communication. Okay, communication with the one my hope is in. Let's, let's adjust the question, but what does prayer look like for you? told me that she has an hour to pray with the Lord. She probably spends 55 minutes at least being quiet. And then she said, probably more like 57 or 58. Would anybody say you have a different experience when you pray? It's not most about listening. It's more you're, you're the one doing a lot of talking. Is that, is that true for anybody? Yeah. It's true for me. God knows I'm a verbal processor. Sometimes he just interrupts. (laughs) 
What else does prayer look like? How many of you have specific people or nations or things that you feel, when you pray about those things, you feel God's heart? Or you feel like a spirit of intercession? You feel like, man, prayer for me is a lot about praying for others and really focusing on that. Doug says that. Anybody else? My mom says that. John says that. Gabby says that. Anna, right? That's a different kind of prayer, though, whenever I'm just journaling and being before him. Right? Okay, so there's an ens- a sense of spontaneous, instantaneous, continuous. Is that in Scripture? Yeah. Is it also in Scripture to have a time set apart to go pray and be with the Lord? Yeah. Which one's right? Both. Any other types of prayer you can think about? Thanksgiving. Uh, along with my prayer journal, I, uh, I keep the praise of uh, things that have gotten in. Since mm-hmm. I can go back when times are difficult and say, yeah, but I remember this. I remember that. Well, yeah. I didn't think it was going to happen. Is that, is that in the Bible to record all the things you've seen God do? Yes. yes. It's in the Bible a lot more than we actually do it. And not only should we do that as individuals, but we should do that collectively. We should be aware of what we've seen God do. I love in, in Psalm, I think maybe 55, it says, Come and see the works of the Lord. And then he talks about things that happened hundreds of years before. Come and see present tense what God is doing. But then he talks about a testimony from hundreds of years before. Why? It's because the, the, the testimony of Jesus and being aware of those things is so powerful. And those testimonies we should allow to prophesy into our hearts and our lives. Let's keep going. What else does the Bible say about prayer? What else does prayer mean to you? What's that? Time of praise. Time of praise. Time of thanksgiving. Katie said to me the other day, we were having a conversation on our Wednesday morning prayer room. She said, some people probably say that's worship. She said, I believe it's it's a musical prayer. Most of what's going on is it's a prayer in music. Prayer can look like a song. What else are you thinking of prayer? Yes, Angie. Prayer can be movement. Amen. Prayer. Yes. Prayer can be movement. The answer of prayer can often be obedience. And I was reminded this week by Jarrell. The purest form of worship is obedience. The purest form of worship is obedience. So as we pray, God begins to move in our hearts. And sometimes, have you ever been praying and God puts something in your heart that doesn't make sense? But just as humbling as praying and talking to the one who already knows what you're going to say before you do, so is having a humble heart to say, God, as much as I know how, this is my worship to you, this is my obedience to you, this is my prayer to you, this is my prayer movement. 
can't hold your breath. As a Christian, usually prayer comes about in one of two ways. Because of praying or because of pressure. Mm-hmm. We ought to be, God, we were designed by God to communicate, to be jealous, to be dependent upon Him. This is good. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart, not with part of it. Okay? So if we're if we're trusting, if we're leaning completely on him, that's when we're doing what comes next. That's good. So prayer is about in its expression of trust with all of us. How many of you can recognize we have compartmentalized places in our hearts and minds? And some things we're willing to give to Lord, but other things we kind of leave to our own planning and devices, right? It's just easier for us to manage that way. Does that make sense? Yes, John. One other thing that I know prayer is you're not going to change God. God uses prayer to change your perspective. God uses prayer to change our perspective. That's true. And then somehow I agree with you. We're not going to change God. He's immutable. And at the same time, God says, Old Testament and New, He makes Himself vulnerable to the things we pray. And so there's a bad form of the view of sovereignty of God that says, well, God's going to do whatever He wants to do because He's sovereign. Part of God's sovereignty was to delegate authority to men on the earth. And He said, if you call, I will answer. And often, and many times repeated, it's a danger when we have the sovereignty of God to think, well, it doesn't matter whether I pray or not. It doesn't matter if I respond or not. Because God's will is for us to be in communion and alignment and obedience to Him. That is His desire. But it's the will of the Lord of hell. Do justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. You, you cannot do that without having a lifestyle of communion and prayer with Him. I think about another one that I want us to highlight. We're not going to read it today, but I would love for you to read it this week. There's both one of the last verses in the book of Jude and 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 that talks about praying in the Spirit. And in Jude, it doesn't really tell us exactly what that is, but it does tell us this, that when we pray in the Spirit, we build ourselves up in, in the most holy faith. And I think that one of the things that my heart is longing to see us grow in both individually and collectively is understanding when we face times of adversity, prayer has been given for us to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. And when we go through adversity, it's not the time to draw away from God, but it's the time to lean into Him. There are many, many scriptures, and I will try to see, I will see if I can send out the vision of Jesus' film and some of those links this week, maybe on Monday or Tuesday, for you, to, for you to have access to the talk. How often prayer is talked about finding our strength in the Lord. It's one of actually more than I can see. Prayer is where you get things done when you want to get them answered. I see prayer as being a way to put to practically exercise your hope in the Lord and put your faith and your strength in His strength. Does that make sense? In 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, you're going to find Paul talking about what it means to pray in the Spirit. And he's pretty explicit there, the difference between praying in the Spirit and praying in your understanding. And one of them is to build up your spirit, the other is to build up your understanding. And he said, so what am I going to do? Am I going to pray in the Spirit or am I pray in my understanding? He said, I will do both. I will both pray in the Spirit and I'll pray in understanding. What I would love for you to do is I would love 
If you already have a life where you feel like, man, I'm committed to a lifestyle, praying in the Spirit, then ask God to up your commitment to it. If you say, I have no idea how to pray in the Spirit, I just read that passage, you meditate on it, say, God, I don't even know how to do this. Or would you create like a scratch and sniff kind of thing? As I'm reading and meditating on this, would you create a hunger in my heart to move in whatever it means to pray in the Spirit? This is not about spiritual gifts. This is not about a technique. This is about hunger. And he said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be filled. Let's read this passage in Ephesians 6, and I want to take a few minutes before we leave to split up and just ask the Lord to activate us in together in prayer. Ephesians 6 is primarily known for what in Scripture? Right? If we were just to give some high-level things, what would we talk about in Ephesians 6? Children, obey your parents. I'm glad you started there. Glad you started there. Armor of God. Armor of God, right? So a lot of times people uh, will think, oh, this is a spiritual warfare, armor of God passage. And one of the things I love about uh, the book, The Attack Lambs, is that whenever Mark Deppert wrote that, he said, people, people often take Ephesians 6 as a, it's its own standalone thing instead of understanding Ephesians 6 flows from the first five chapters. So the first five chapters of Ephesians are all about the beauty of God, the fact that we're one in Him, and the fact that we are engaged in the heavenly realms. We are seated together with Him in heavenly realms. So we just look at the armor of God and spiritual warfare as this thing that we've got to figure out how to fight spiritual warfare. We'll miss it. I like to remind people that God doesn't begin to talk about Ephesians, uh, about the armor of God and spiritual warfare, and until He's also talked a lot about relationships, the way that we relate to each other, in the way that we relate in families, including husbands and wives and children and parents, and even the way that we interact with those we're working with. So, but at the end of that passage that we typically think about the armor of God, look now at verse number 17. So we're just finishing up the armor of God. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication of the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, so that I may speak it boldly as I ought to speak. Some of you in your translations will say this, praying always with all kinds or all types of prayer. And whether you're uh, translation says it or not, that's what it means. We just listed a bunch of different types of prayer. And how many of you have one or two that you're more comfortable with than you are others? And what I think, and, and please understand as I say this, I'm not saying this is an accusation, I'm saying this is a place of understanding things I need to grow in. But I think that growing up, I was more aware of supplication when I thought about the way the churches prayed. I had the privilege, and I've told many stories about going with my dad on Saturday morning to men's prayer meeting and hearing men cry out for lost people to come to Jesus. If you want to see my dad and I both squalling, just get us talking about some of those mornings where these former Marines, Don Albers was like 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, and he would just weep over people who didn't know Jesus. And that impacted my heart so greatly but it was, for the most part, 
We're going to take 20 minutes or so, 30 minutes, and we're going to collect prayer requests from everyone and then split up in groups and try to go through those prayer lists. And I see great value in that, but what I didn't understand as much because I didn't know how to think about it is mom and dad also cultivated more at home than I saw at church a lifestyle of waiting on the Lord. And sometimes we'd have family prayer times. Sometimes we'd have family prayer times. It's probably like sometimes you have. We'd read a Bible store, we'd pray, and we'd go around there and we'd pray, and that'd be it. But there'd be some times that we would be in the midst of that, and when we'd just be praying, and we would wait on the Lord. And long before I ever heard any charismatics talk about soaking, we would soak in the 80s, in 1809 Mission Hill Drive. We would spend time on the floor waiting on the Lord in the presence of God. Or we'd be driving down the road and we'd have to pull over because my dad couldn't drive and cry at the same time. But as far as what I thought about churches, I thought more supplication. And I did not know so much about how to create an atmosphere. Let's abide with him together. Let's wait on him together. And I think in AOX, there are some of you that are really strong at supplication prayer. But I think as a church, we're not real strong at agreeing together in prayer for specific things. And it would be my heart that we would be at the beginning of this year activated as we come in, not only on January 28, 29, 30, but in the season leading up to it and definitely coming out of it with a momentum that we would say, God, what does it mean for me to seek your face? What does it mean for us to seek your face together? What does it mean for us to begin to, what would it look like in Grove City if two or three or five or 10 or 15 people began to get together and weep over people who've never heard the gospel in Grove City? Begin to pray for families that are falling apart. Begin to pray for children who don't have a home that they would be able to get that hug in the midst of their fear. We live in an age where there's more Christian therapy and self-help available than ever before. And some of that is really beautiful. But I also fear that we live in an age where we pray less than collectively than ever before looking for our own solutions. I do not believe it needs to be one or the other, but let us make sure that our hope is not found in what any man can write, any man or woman can write in a book or speak to us more than it is in the, in the power of God to answer prayer. What I would love for us to do is finish our time together this morning, just give me groups maybe of, of three, four, or five, Maybe take a minute just to be quiet, a couple minutes just to say, hey, this is what stood out to me today as we're looking at the scriptures, as we're processing, hearing each other, what, what is prayer. And then just maybe take four or five minutes, maybe 10 minutes total, just a minute of quiet, uh, two or three minutes, just what stood out. And then whatever it is, we're spend more minutes praying than talking. And whether that prayer is a listening prayer, you may have people, you may be in Katie and Jared's group and they're like, man, we only got like three seconds to speak. Right? Or you may be in my dad's group and you're thinking, we ain't gonna listen at all. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you know? Oh, that'd be good. One of the greatest heritages that I've ever received, I remember Cody pulled me aside one day and he said, I've never, uh, he said, I want to thank you for being willing to pray. He said, I've, I've never been around uh, in church at an atmosphere where people's hearts were more in prayer. And it struck me because I realized that's something that I, it's probably one of the greatest gifts I received from my mom and dad. I don't remember many mornings I could wake up without knowing my mom and dad were praying for me. 
Now, whenever I was in school, they would take turns leaving the prayer closet and coming, get up, get out of bed, we're going to leave in 20 minutes. But, like, I know that today. One of the messages that, I'll finish with this statement, one of the messages that I remember my pastor preaching shortly after his mom went to heaven was, who's going to pray for me now? And if you have friends or family members that are praying for you, thank God and draw up under the grace of prayer. And I would just say, I don't know what's going to come in front of us. I believe there's far more promise in front of us than lies behind us. But I can also promise you there will be pressure, there will be pain. And I believe the thing that we can do collectively to make sure that we have the right perspective is to take this invitation from God to join together in prayer. I perceive, I got to walk up the other day to get a COVID test for me from uh, Jafone's house, and when I did, Susan was in her room with Isley, and I was trying to wait and get their attention, then I just stopped, because I was watching the interaction between Isley and Susan. And I thought, I am so humbled to be in a community in a church family with Susan. And I pray that the things that God has done in her life over the years, I pray that I've only received a tiny fraction of what I will receive by joining my heart with what God's done in her. Because I, as Katie said one day, if, if, if I can only have one or two people praying for me, Susan's one of them. I, I very specifically remember saying that. I got a chance to gather with some of the grandparents in our church around a table. And we were talking about the people that were there. And just the heart of prayer from those people for others in our church. I'm just saying, let's give ourselves to this now, okay? So I'm going to just pray, and then we'll split up, and let's try. If you're not comfortable praying out loud, we're not going to make you do that. But I'm going to ask you as much as, as much as you can, stretch. Monica, I was really excited this morning. Because I was reading about all the times in my life in the scriptures where I felt like I had no hope and don't know what to do. And God has hope. So I know that you're in a place where you feel tired and worn out. You don't necessarily know what's going to happen. I'm telling you, God's got good news for you today. Okay? And that's true for every one of us. Okay? So, Father, <laughs> thank you for all the invitations of your word. Many times I don't feel worthy to come into your presence, but thank you that you have given us an invitation. Jesus, thank you forgiving your body as a highway into your presence. Thank you for giving your blood to wash us. We hear the words from Hebrews to boldly enter the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy in the time of need. God, may need not be the only thing that propels us into your presence, but may we hear that in the midst of trouble, your doors are open and you have made a way. Holy Spirit, the word tells us that there are times we don't even know how to pray, but you make groanings for us that we don't even understand. Would you teach us how to pray? Help or help. And I pray that God understanding that there are as many different people there in this room that's as many different ways as we come to you. Thank you for that. But would you teach us now how to allow those things to, to be joined together? 
in these next few minutes, would you begin to activate our hearts in collective prayer at the beginning of this year in a way that will prepare us for what's ahead? In Jesus' name.